Welcome once again to Rover Talk. Dan, how are you today? I'm um, good. Good? Yeah. Braving the snow? Uh, yeah. More or less, right? Yeah, more or less. All right. Well, welcome to today's episode of Rover Talk. Uh, remember, you can reach us at rovertalk55 at gmail.com. SRI2405 is my handle for uh, Instagram. Dan's is WagonBoyTD. So look us up and don't forget to uh, follow and check out the uh, Rover Talk Instagram page because we post some stuff up there that's somewhat interesting every once in a while. So today, Dan, yeah. we're talking about the car that you convinced me to buy that is quite possibly one of the best decisions I've ever made, and I'm glad you insisted so many times, the L322. Yes, it is, uh, it is one of my favorites. Let me do a little bit, let me, let me, so the L322 is kind of what we can consider the first modern or maybe second modern Range Rover. Range Rover Classic started in 69. The run went all the way up to 95, 96, depending on where you were living or wanted to buy one at the time. Then, you know, of course, in all the iterations, two-door, four-door, long wheelbase, short wheelbase, 3.5, 2.5 turbo diesel and everything in between but not all engines used all transmissions and then we went into the p38 which had a rather short run i would say because it started 95 94 if you were in europe and went up to 2001 2002 right yeah so same thing so 2001 europe 2002 here mm -hmm. um is when uh the first uh l322 uh, came about and then uh and then we got the l322 and we're gonna run through a little bit of the history but anyway first of all dan have you done any projects in these days uh no uh no projects um but i did go as i showed you i did go kind of off-roading with the 06 l322 uh this past weekend because we got in the midwest we got a ton of snow um and then actually got a lot more down at my farm so it was a really great opportunity to to you know have uh it stretches legs and it's just uh it's ridiculous it shines it shines it's just it's so ridiculous like seriously so i haven't done anything super interesting uh, on my um, as far as projects except for that I had to install a new stereo and speakers into my blue uh, 88 uh, Range Rover Classic 3.5 V8 and automatic German market car with an Eberspacher heater I'm just saying this because it's going up for sale pretty soon on Bring a Trailer anyway um, a quick little tip um, if you're if you have a car that hasn't been on the road for a while and the radio doesn't work uh, you might want to just unscrew one of the speakers and take a look at it just because they could be completely rotted out as mine were so here i am installing a new stereo and then when i turn it on it's like music from the 50s right yeah it was it was almost like it was like a a wax disc of the olden days yeah it was pretty bad so i had to go out and buy new speakers so the new owner will get four new speakers which is nice the, the car actually sounds now really nice it sounds like modern updated nice you know um, you get some. I danced around in the garage a little bit when I finally installed that because it's always a battle to install in that creepy space that there is right down there. I always think that when I'm going to take out the stereo, I'm going to find like 10 dead mice in there. Right, because it's a nice um, little cavern. Yeah. It's a nice little cavity where you think probably you made it in there. Anyway, 
that's about all I've been doing. Um, so I really, we really don't have much to update on the project side of things. Dan, what's been going on in the market? So the market, and we'll talk specifically today about um, the third generation, which is the L322. Market is still um, crazy good for pretty much any of those uh, marks. So the Mark One is the BMW iteration, which is the the first 02 to 05, 06 to 09, which is the Mark II. And that market seems to be uh, really picking up. We saw an 07 HSC non-supercharged um, sell for $53,000, which I don't know if that was like... Was like, that a market anomaly or is that where we're going? Well, I don't know if it's where we're going. I just think, you know, we're seeing these low mileage uh, Range Rovers pop up all over the country now. And a lot of them are um, in that 26 to 40, we'll just say 50,000 mile range that are popping up on auction sites. And people seem to uh really kind of go after after these low mileage ones and and really kind of throw money at it whereas and i've said this before i'm i'm kind of uh on the fence with why that really isn't necessarily like a great idea um with land rovers and range rovers and Pretty much any of those things is like I'd rather let someone else put uh, the service into it put the money into it because if you're if you're gonna pay a premium on a low mileage you're still you're still gonna have to anticipate that you're gonna do all of the service uh, requirements still which um, a lot of them can be kind of kind of pricey so I'm not sure why we're seeing such high prices paid for lower mileage. Just because it's low mileage doesn't really. Necessarily... Do you think that? Do you think these are going into like collections that people are, are no, forecasting I, that it's no, a future I, collectible? I, no, I think part of it is, you know, we're we're in this, um, we're still in this inventory issue with new cars. We're in this inventory issue with used cars and I think what people are willing to do now is buy something that is a little cooler design compared to kind of the, some of the new cars that we see now and are willing to pay a little bit more for something that they feel uh, the styling is a little bit better they're certainly not getting you know any any more comfort uh things you're not getting more tech you're not getting like certain things so i just think it's a combination of you know the inventory issues that we're going through the people don't necessarily like the look of a lot of the new things and um you know and part of it too is it's just caught up in an auction and you know you end up paying 50 you know some thousand for you know essentially what's a 15 you know year old car like 
you know, we would never have seen that, you know. So it's kind of like a perfect storm. So it's it is. It, it really is. I mean, it, the the spec was amazing. It was beautiful, but you're still going to have to anticipate doing all of the service things that would have been done on something that if you were to go out and buy, say, a twelve thousand dollar car that is has a hundred and you know twenty forty thousand miles on it. So yeah. No, I, I, I agree. But the market is has just been, you know, it's been phenomenal. All mostly in the Mark Twos and the and the Mark Threes lately we're seeing, you know, really good numbers. Yeah. Well, that's that's so if you wanna buy one now you're gonna have to pay up you have to pony up some money unless you want something very high mileage. Or or just you know just do some research and just wait for one that comes up. I mean, there's, I mean, if you, if you go on a car guru or cars.com or anybody, there's hundreds of, of L322s from O2 to, you know, to, to, uh, 2012. So, I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of, of ones out there. You just have to find the right one. All right. I, I'm going to bring up a question, and, and please, if you're listening, and I, I want your opinion. My L322 is a 2006 model. It has just turned 160,000 miles. I've never had a car with so many miles in my life. Um, I bought it at, I think it was like 145 they had when I bought it. Mm-hmm. I paid peanuts for it. Yeah. Um, and... I do think that quite possibly the transmission is on its way out. Yep. Right? Yep. But seeing as how the market is right now, and I have to... Now, the reason I'm saying that I think is because I had kind of a slipping transmission, and so I did the transmission service, and um, as these do, I have, I'm not sure if I may be a little bit low on transmission fluid, and that's the problem even after doing the service because it may have not sealed properly the pan or whatever may be the issue. Um, because for a little while, it ran very well. And my slipping issues were completely solved. And then I parked the car for a couple of weeks, went on, went to, went to Mexico, got coronavirus, had to stay three weeks. And when I got back, I noticed it was kind of a little puddle underneath. And I don't know if it was my car or whatever was parked there before. Seeing as my car was in the same spot for like three weeks, right. I had a feeling it could have been mine. Anyway, at this point in time where the market is, is it worth it to maybe find a transmission and spend 1500 bucks having somebody take it out and put a new one in? Or a, a used one, obviously, not a new one. Right. Or do I just go with it until it just dies and then I deal with it then? And then... I mean, at a car at 160,000 miles, is it worth it for me just to sell it um, for what it is and then get my money back and put it into something else? Well, what would you do? I, and we've kind of talked about this before, so there's, you kind of almost answered your, your question there. So it's a, it's an O, it's an O6. And we'll kind of we'll touch on this a little bit later, but we can touch on it now. So, to those of you that don't know, the the O six is the is the stepchild of Ford and BMW. So what happened in the O six is you you had a 
we had our uh, two L322s, let's say got remarried, and you have a little bit of BMW in the 06 and a little bit of the four. So it was kind of like just a little bit of the transition into what, you know, our, what are considered like the primo years, which is 07 to, uh, to 09. And so 06 is that kind of, that half child. The in-between year. The in-between. And so what I would do probably, it, my, my silver one is uh, an 06, and that's pushing, you know, 200,000 miles. Um, I put, uh, I bought, I bought that one when it had 148,000 miles, and, you know, I paid like five grand for it. Um, <laughs> so w what I would do if I were you is I, I would probably... I would probably sell it and um, you know get the same sort of situation and buy something that has you know back down to like a hundred and forty because you know I know you love the car a lot but I think it's gonna cost you more than fifteen hundred uh, to to swap out a used uh, transmission on it and I think you you get your money back now versus uh, doing a transmission and then you know driving it for a while longer because I know you it's not a car that it, that you're gonna as much as you love it you're still not gonna keep it for you know a few more years right probably not but then again I just go back to it it's just it's just such a good all-around car yeah that it's hard kind of to pass up but anyway Let's, let, let me get into a little bit. So a little bit more about the history. So the L322 uh, was um, was actually a BMW planned car. Yeah. BMW took over Land Rover in 1994. And just after they launched the, the P38, they realized very soon that the P38 didn't fit the bill. And I can't understand it because I love the P38. And I know that there's a lot of people like you, Dan, that just... And, and it's actually true. I know a lot of Land Rover people that have Range Rovers of almost any generation. Nobody has a P38. Yeah. Anyway. And it really is. It's And I was telling Brandon this the other day. We, uh, It's just like it's the rear 25% of the car. That's it for me. It's like everything else I'm okay with. Like interior, like everything else. It's, it's just like the Sport, the Range Rover Sport. It's that rear 25% that I just cannot get past. Yeah, and so um, the first year is the 2006, which is the stepchild. Then we have the best years, which are 2007. Tell us about the best years. Well, so so we, so the 2000. Let's go back a, a okay. second here. So the BMW BMW years are the 2002 to 2005. Um, I mean, just basically picture like. An X3 or an X, a BMW X3 or X5 mm -hmm. is essentially what you're getting in a, in a uh, in a range uh, roller body, and we all know like you should never ever touch any of the BMW X's SUVs. But that's another story. And then uh, and then we move on to 06, which is that middle child of a little bit of both. And really, it, let me just 
the main difference on the interiors with this 06 and uh, the earlier ones and then the, the Mark IIs, the 07 and 09, is literally the ignition, which can uh, tend to be a, a problem uh, with these. But having the 06 and the cylinder, the ignition cylinder, basically in the council is like the easiest uh, to fix. Really, that's the, really just the, the main difference in, in the interiors with uh, with that and then of course a couple of the, the nav screen uh, buttons where the nav screen buttons are on the exterior of the, mo of the monitor in the first uh, generation of the L322 and then everything goes into uh, the monitor post that. So 07 to 09 uh, is basically when uh, the engine switched over to J. Uh, Ford combinations um, all uh you know all have that so you can either get the 4.4 uh non-supercharger which uh is considered to be like the most reliable with within the engine the supercharger is totally uh you know reliable in this um in this uh situation just because the 4.2 really doesn't uh put as much uh, stress on the engine and the diffs, which we'll talk about later, but um, either that Mark II is, is generally considered the most um, reliable, not to say that it's not going to have uh, the issues because all the series all had issues with the transmissions as we kind of talked about, um, but the 4.4 uh, non-supercharged uh, Transmission tends to, even though it's the same transmission, doesn't uh, tend to get a lot of uh, issues with it. Um, what else? So, uh, just to give an overview, according to, and this I'm dragging from the Wikipedia, um, the petrol engines that were available was, as Dan was mentioning, the 4.4 V8, which went from 2003 to 2006, the Jaguar 4.4 V8, which was 2006 to 2009. The Jaguar 4.2, which was 2006 to 2009 as well, also V8. And then a Jaguar 5 liter, which went from 2009 to 2012. And then diesels, there were a BMW 2.9 TD6 from 2002 to 2006. And Ford 3.6 TD V8 from 07 to 10. And 4.4 TD V8 from 2010 to 2012. So... The diesels we didn't get in the U.S. No, the diesels uh, we did not uh, get any of those. So I personally haven't had any experience. I've only like, you know, obviously read on on forums and stuff that, uh, you know, there the TD6 was pretty uh, decent, um, but you know, other than that, I don't know much as far as like reliability. They tend to seem to have the same sort of uh of the issues like the transmission was actually a lot worse in connection with the diesels but um probably went to ben if they were offered in, in a beautiful manual but yes the other thing we have to mention here is that this is the first time in uh range rover history that there's a range rover spin-off model which is the range rover sport 
Right. Right. This is the first generation also of the of the Range Rover Sport. Although the Sport, when did this was the Sport the same t- same? So the Sports came in during the second mark, which would have been uh, like 07, 06, 07, 08, like in same time as our the ones that we had. Yeah. Came out, and what actually the Sport actually saved. I wouldn't say saved. It's not like they were dying, but it was beyond successful for for Land Rover, mainly because of the fact that it was, you know, thirty thousand dollars cheaper. It was, you know, a lot smaller, um, you know, sportier. It just, uh, you know, it just mainly was a lot more affordable. Yeah, I think it also kind of appealed to that 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 time of like two thousand five when when SUVs were becoming a little bit more sporty than we had seen in the past. And so I think this was one of the first ones in the luxury segment of the market that was actually like kind of like considered sportier. And do you think they were maybe um, competing with with Porsche at the time? Because didn't Porsche start to like have their like yeah. SUVs come out and they looked like yeah the Cayenne was it that was coming out at the same time maybe even a few a couple of years earlier that those were kind of the two I, I I don't know honestly I'm not really sure that that the Porsche um, customer is the same as the Land Rover customer no because they did do a Range Rover supercharged version there was one that was ridiculous it had like 500 horsepower but I think the Porsche appealed more to a to a different type of demographic that that like the sportier type and Land Rovers, we've never been like the ones to drive fast and sporty and all that because it's just not in the Land Rover DNA, right? Right. Yeah. So I think they did appeal to a different customer, but but anyway, it's interesting that it's the first time that now we have the Volar and now we have other kind of like under the Range Rover has almost become its own kind of brand, right? And it's kind of its own oh, yeah. umbrella. Yeah, because uh, it's no longer just the Evoque and all that. It's no longer just. A Range Rover. Yeah. You know, it's... But, but we like the classic. So, in addition to that, um, there were a few different types of finishes here with the Range Rover. So, in... And it, this also depends on where you lived and where you wanted to buy one. Because you had an SE and an HSE and the Vogue, which is European. And then you had a Westminster and, of course, you know, the, the audio biography, which were, like, the special editions. So... Everything was very well equipped, even the ones that weren't, you know, at the very top of the of the line. But the HSC is definitely has those little those little perks. So let's uh, let's get into like daily use. So just so everybody knows, Dan and I have been. Dan, when did you buy the first one? So the first one I got in twenty eighteen. That's the 06 that I got. I got that in twenty eighteen. Like I said, I paid uh, just over five grand for it. Um, you know, at, I was I had been looking for uh, that particular you know grouping of Range Rovers, but I was waiting until uh, the market had totally like almost crashed. It didn't. It didn't totally crash. I think until like mid twenty nineteen is like when that second mark started to kind of like creep back up. Um, so I'd been looking for, you know, quite a while. I'd looked at, you know, many, many, actually it's funny. There's one, there's a black, uh, Westminster on, 
cars and bids that I had actually looked at when I was first started uh, looking at this particular uh, model that's actually up on cars and bids now. Did that one finish already? Uh, no. No, you could, you could pull it up. I'm going to pull it up. I, I, I know I, we talked about this off of the podcast. It has a sketchy-ish history. Yeah, so the only thing that was sketchy about this one in particular is someone had brought it over to Europe. They had read the miles supposedly in kilometers, which jacked the mileage up and then jacked it back down. Like It, it kind of goes up and down, up and down. And I wasn't like too worried about that when... Um, I seen it because you know we all know you have to take a car facts with a grain of salt. It's like if the car is in front of you, you read the car. You don't read the car facts. Um, and this particular one, uh, for example, just ha it, it was a little bit rougher than what I had wanted uh, initially, just because it, it was a, a Chicago car, the beginning of its uh, of its life. Um, so back to my 06. So I've been looking for um, a while and I also wanted the first one I wanted to get with a little bit higher mileage because you know it was a new uh, marquee to me. So I didn't I knew what years to get, but I wasn't familiar with the everyday uh, dealing with uh, a Range Rover. Uh, of this model and so I wanted something that had a lot of service as always I wanted one or two owners max and I wanted some miles on it because I wanted uh, most of the service to be taken uh, care of and so uh, thankfully uh, I you know I, I did the right thing and uh, got lucky and, and picked a good one and, and so far in in the few years that I've had it, the only things that I've had to do um, are the O2 sensors, which you can do, you know, by yourself in a few minutes. Of course, I've been you know, changing the oils. Someone stole the caps not that long ago. I had those replaced, but um, you know, there. This car's been this car's been really, really good to me, and and it's given me. Um, since I paid nothing for it, it's given me a little bit of room to kind of put my my stamp on it with my wheels, uh, my tires, like, you know, and just kind of make it its own and, and really just not uh, not break the bank. Um, yeah. So, I, I agree. So, I bought mine about probably a year ago, I think. Over a year. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Um, I did buy mine in the middle of the pandemic, so I paid a little bit over five grand for mine as well. And um, it's 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 actually been a, a fantastic car. Now, you're like I always say, it kind of depends on what you're going to use it for. And my initial, and I remember talking to Dan, and I said, well, you know. I'm not really sure about how big it is for daily driving and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so I, I never worried about the mileage because honestly, I don't give a shit about how many miles per gallon it uses. I mean, you, you, I mean, you can get anywhere between 11 and 15. Like, I mean, that's just... Unless you go on the highway. You can get up to 22 on the highway. 
Well, I mean, I get that on the weekends, but you know, for the most part, it's just to run around the city. Yeah. yeah. So the, the 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 thing is, it is it is just a fantastic all around car, and I say this because I have a six year old, and so she has tons of space in 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 the back. And it's high, and her car seat sits in the back, and she can see out the windows, and and loves it. So for kids, obviously, it's a given. And of course, you have that such a big trunk that you can carry all the crap in. And the other day, we went, you know, to the snow, and she was, you know, I just sat her in the rear tailgate, and she put her snow pants on and and stood up, and it was just fantastic. The other side of of this is that it is an extremely comfortable car. The air suspension is very well dialed in in all of its settings. It makes for a very smooth ride. I'd say that that V8 is very, very well balanced. And I think the transmission works to get the most power. So it's not a sluggish car, even though it may seem like it. And we're, I'm not talking about, mine's not supercharged either. So we both have the 4.4 um, non-supercharged. Non-supercharged. And that's just, I mean, they're... People that have the supercharged and the 5.0, and yeah, I think both are, I mean, I've driven the supercharged 5.0, the 5.0, have you? Mm. So there, no. there, there is gonna be a noticeable out the gate difference. I mean, let's not, I'm not trying to sell you on the 4.4 as like some power engine, but it definitely has more than enough, but it will not, get off the gate like a supercharged or a 5.0 no it, it won't but it's not sluggish it's not one of those cars where you're you're putting your foot down to the floor because it just doesn't keep up the other side of this is that um you know we live in chicago and for daily use any of you that are from chicago or come to the midwest often know that the streets in chicago are absolute crap i mean everything is it's like pothole central everything Obviously, the weather doesn't help to keep the, you know, we could get into a whole different debate, but it makes it your daily drive a lot more comfortable because the suspension works really well. Obviously, it still has the classic seating position where you're pretty high up. Yeah. So you, so even though it's a long car, you have a lot of visibility. The hood, if you look at the edges, kind of looks like the hood on a classic, which I think is kind of cool, but it very well, you know, the bumpers don't stick out all that much, so it's not... Uh, it's not a hard car to park, believe it or not, on, no. you know, when you do street parking. And, um, you know, aside from the miles per gallon and all that, it's just, it's they're very well equipped. Even if you don't have the HSC and you have a standard basic, you know, it's, it's a very, very comfortable and very agile for its size city car. So in, in, in that regard, I think it's, it's fantastic. The other side of it, which I think are like the other part of it is that it's a fantastic car to travel because you you stick it on the highway and you know the other day I went down to Springfield Illinois which is about 180 miles and the roads here in Illinois are kind of boring it's just one big long straight line with about three turns in 180 miles and you know if you were watching over the police um, you can get very, very, very high up to speed and feel extremely comfortable. There's like, no hesitation. And I tell you all, even yesterday when we were coming back from... I may or may not have gone a 
about 140 yesterday. You, may or may not. You literally can go mm -hmm. 95 and not even know it. Like Renee was like, you you got to slow down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Look at how fast you're going. I'm like, I, you know, it just, it's such a great, great, great ride. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And so that makes it super comfortable for everything because even if it's, you know, loaded to the brim, you still have plenty of power. It doesn't feel sluggish at any point in time. It doesn't shake. It doesn't vibrate. It's just, it's just a fantastic um, car to travel. And I, I basically, you know, when I have to go down to Springfield, I basically put on a podcast and I'm like sitting in my living room because there's, you know, I'm thinking about all this stuff. The, the only thing I have left is to start writing stuff down that I need to do for the week. But I think that's a little excessive because yeah. I kind of drive by myself. Yeah. So as a city car, it's fantastic. I mean, yes, you need a little bit more space to park than a regular car, a regular sedan. But um, it's not that big. In fact, I have it parked next in, in my garage. I have it parked next to a W140 S-Class, a 300 SE, not SEL. And the SE is longer and wider. Than and the, yet, than the, Range Rover? than the Range Rover. And yet, when you get inside, you don't feel it as spacious as you do the Range Rover. Yeah, which is kind of a given because it's tall and it has, you know, it, it it kept. I think what this generation did very well is that the aesthetics very much reminded you of the classic, like much more than the P thirty eight. Oh yeah, which is why I think a lot of people are yeah are gravitating and and especially the i think the the key aspects are that the the bonnet looks ex, you know it's like a modernized version of the classic bonnet yeah and then the airy windows and tall windows are also a huge thing and the other like the third part of it so you could do city cities excellent traveling highways excellent dan what did you think of it off-road well it's so the last two weekends uh so two weekends ago, it was, we didn't have the snow. I thought we were going to have the snow. So I just took it on the trail that I took you on, except for I took it through the, uh, through the creek. And um, I didn't have to put it in uh, all terrain. I actually didn't have to do that this past weekend either. And I didn't have to put it in low. The only thing I had to do was I had to raise it because I was going into kind of a deep uh, ravine on, on that one trail. Um, and then this past weekend when we got like 18 inches of snow down there, it was, I mean, it's just insane. Like, it, I tried to get stuck. Like, I really tried my hardest to get stuck into uh, snow drifts and anything I could do to kind of uh, get stuck. And then I was also trying to do um, donuts. And, like, oh, the, it's I'll like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, I, I got to have some fun. I mean, yes, it was a blast, like, <laughs> plowing through snow drifts and, and, you know, going on the trail and not getting stuck. But, um, you know, I was kind of hoping for a little bit of, you know, adventure having to like try and get it out, but yeah, we did get stuck. So I haven't, I haven't taken mine off road because I just, I haven't had the opportunity, but those of you that live in a cold climate and have snow realize that when they, and live in a city, when they plow the streets, it kind of becomes off road ish. Especially in and Chicago so, on the side streets. Yeah. They don't plow. Ever since I've had 
the L322, I no longer even carry a shovel because you can literally get into any parking space. It doesn't matter how much snow there is, if there's a mountain, if there, it doesn't matter. You can just plow right into it, in and out. And I've never had to put low gear or all-terrain mode or anything like that. I just plow right in and out. And that for me is a huge plus, especially you know in this cold climate because I, I hate the snow. And then I, back onto what you were saying before, trying to do donuts. I uh, I don't like the cold. I don't like the snow. But my 18-year-old self comes to me when I when it's just snowed and I see a parking lot that's empty. And of course, because I'm I have to. I, just, I can't help yeah, myself. I just drive in there. One of these days, one of these days, a policeman is going to come by. He's going to see me and say, "What? What? What the? Aren't you?" It's just going to say. How old are you? What's wrong Hopefully with you? Hopefully they have better things to do than worry about someone doing jobs. Yeah, imagine someone doing... Anyway, I went into three parking lots the other day that were fresh snow, I'd say about six or seven inches, and I was literally struggling to even make the tail whip out a little bit. Yeah. And I've been doing that. I've been doing stuff like this since I was like 18. Because, you know, you know, when you're... I mean, I have to remember this thing is... It's not as heavy as an LR4, but they are. But heavy. it 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 does not want to let you make it drift no. or slide or slip no. or get off the track that you were given to it. Yeah. Now I did manage to make it slip a little bit in the tail, but it took me a while because it wasn't a comp, it wasn't an easy thing to do. I mean, obviously, if you have it's a little bit harder with an with an auto transmission, and you have to kind of coordinate and without using a handbrake. Right, because right? handbrake is cheating. You gotta make yeah. it slide, yeah. you know, just like you would any rear wheel drive manual car, and it is very hard. And I think that speaks volumes to the actual um, four wheel drive system that it has. It really doesn't want to let you slip yeah. off the road. I mean, granted, I have you know I have new winter tires on mine, so yeah, but I run all season tires on mine, yeah. and they're not new. They're yeah. not. I mean, they're still good. But it's not like I have a whole lot of, and I still I have no issues yeah. getting in and out of anywhere, and and that's actually pretty convenient for me because, of course, those of you who live in the wind, <laughs> snowy climate know that it starts to snow and then all of a sudden everybody becomes like a ninety year old blind driver, right? And uh, and and it's logical to a certain degree because a lot of people don't have four wheel drive, so they just have to kind of try not to get their car stuck or try not to slip and slide until they go really slow. Right. Anyway. But when you have a Range Rover an L322, you are just gliding through like the pavement's dry. It's it, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, okay, so we said all the good things. So let's talk about because we don't want to give the wrong impression. No, you know. Um, so let me ask you this. So knowing you know, both of us are you know pretty car savvy, and we do a majority of the stuff uh, on our cars ourselves. So let let me just ask you this. And we'll we'll just specifically talk about the L322 because we could answer yeah, this yeah. question for Land Rover. But I mean would you would you recommend uh, any of these uh, iterations of the L322 to someone who who only can rely on a mechanic to do the work. Okay. So that that would depend on on your pocket. 
right? Because yeah. a lot of these things are pricey to do if you're going to do them. Obviously, fly away from the dealer, but not to not anything against dealers, just their rates are really high. But in, at an independent shop, so some of the parts are cheap, some of the parts are kind of expensive. And so, would I recommend it? It depends on how deep your pockets are. If you're willing to put, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks a year into your car on parts and service, I'd say yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, do you think, do you think that this particular model only, <coughs> only you would need that amount of service every year? I mean, I think that's unless you do an insane amount of miles. I think that's probably where you're going to be. Okay, because because my thinking is the 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 people that are buying these, I don't necessarily think. And I, I could be wrong, but uh, people that it's, I don't think it's the same customer that's buying uh, these as as a, a luxury vehicle. I mean, I, I don't I'm trying to figure out how to I don't think it's someone who is super wealthy isn't just buying one of these. No, they're probably a, buying a new one. They're probably yeah. buying anyone or one that's two, three, four years old. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But I just, I don't want like someone to, you know. Think that this is like a, a Chevy. A bulletproof like no, Chevy not. F-150 from 1985 or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it'll cost you money, I think, if if you don't know anything about cars. I agree, yeah. And you're just buying it for the name brand. And or, the, or the cool, like, or how cool it is. Yeah, yeah. how cool it is. Whereas uh, it also, to me, it can be completely affordable if if you can do. Yeah, if you can do. I mean, if you can do, like for example, I'll give you. I'll give you mine. So I bought mine. Uh, I've put like twelve thousand miles on it. I think, or I, I can't remember if I my mine was at one hundred forty five or one hundred forty eight when I yeah. bought it. Anyway, twelve fifteen thousand miles in a year, which is actually kind of a lot for me. I usually don't do that many miles You've on, been doing on the a same lot car. Of trips to Springfield. Yes, I have. I have. I go to Springfield. Yeah, that's probably the, the majority. Yeah. Um, all that I've had to do are oil changes, which I haven't done them myself because I'm lazy. So what I'll do is I'll buy my own oil and filter, and then I'll run over to like Jiffy Lube or somewhere where they do it for like forty bucks, just because I don't want to get my hands dirty because I'm lazy and they do it a lot quicker than I do. And yeah. and but you could perfectly do an oil change for you know seventy bucks. Yeah. In, in and you buy the type of oil that you want and you buy the filter the, the correct factory filter that you want and and that's pretty good yeah. the other thing that I did was the transmission service now this was a little bit more pricey because the you um, bought the kit the full kit right I, I I didn't I bought well I bought the full the the well the the pan the transmission pan is actually plastic and it's a service item so you replace the whole pan um, which includes the filter inside of it so that that's about 150 bucks. I bought that from British Atlantic, and then I went to BMW or to Land Rover dealership and bought the correct ZF transmission because right. that's that's the only it's the only one. Only, and, only. And, and what sucks about it is that it's 27 bucks a quart. Yeah, and there's seven quarts that go in there. Seven and a half. You have to buy eight. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it you can't you know there's no way around that. Um, oh, and then we did the brakes. Oh yeah. But well, those, yeah, we did the brakes. Yeah, we did the brakes. <laughs> and those those are service items. We I bought a whole brake kit for five hundred bucks, front and back, everything. Yeah. And then that was when Dan 
Quinn who was parts department and brought out a caliper that was faulty on 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 my car um and so we did that obviously if you go to a shop or a dealership that's going to cost you three or four times what it costs you to do it yourself so yeah. i think you're absolutely right dan if you're willing to do that um a lot of the service if you know how to do it which isn't complicated then then you can you can do it yourself but those are it to a certain degree, aside from the, I mean, those are just basic use of wear items. Yeah, so I, and, I, and being that these um, are so heavy and uh, so huge, you're, you're probably going to replace the brakes at least twice, if not three times, at least the pads, um, you know, depending on how long you're going to keep it. But the brake pads wear like extremely fast on on these for some reason um the other service things that you know that can be you know pretty costly obviously is going to be your air ride is going to be your, yeah. your suspension so usually what i tell people is if, if you're looking for for uh an l322 if it has the work done on the air suspension perfect if not and you don't see any record of it ever being done. And you can actually, we just looked at um, an LR4, but essentially all the same underneath. You can check to see uh, if it still rides on the original uh, air struts on the front. It's pretty easy uh, to look. But I always say, try and find one that's had at least had that service, um, which usually it's already been done around 50. Or ninety thousand miles, you're gonna um, <clears throat> you're gonna see that service done. So, and the only thing that is expensive is the parts. To do it yourself is not. Uh, yeah, you can easily do it yourself, and um, you know, I I I would recommend uh, kind of basically it's a rule of thumb for all parts on on Range Rover is um, you know it, it, if you really can't. Uh, afford OEM I would always try and get the OEM try and get uh, Land, Land Rover if not there's really good uh, aftermarkets but just really just do not buy any like straight up China eBay like coils or spark plugs or like really try and uh, you know stick to uh, factory uh yeah. and, and british atlantic and rovers north has basically yeah they're they're here. gonna they're gonna uh they're gonna be up front with you and you can ask them you know ask your rep um there you know because a lot of times um uh websites like lucky a pretty much anybody's not gonna specifically tell you who uh is making the part for obvious reasons because you know they got to make money too, but they'll share with you like uh, who's making uh, the part on, on lots of things. But really just try and do uh, factory parts on, on all the majors, especially anything electrical like alternators, coils, anything like that. Really try and stick yeah. to. And, and, you know, like do the, like, I know it's kind of a pain in the ass and it's a little more expensive, but if you get yours and you don't know the transmission, just do the, do the service. It's not difficult to do. You can actually do it yourself if you're willing to get underneath your car. You just put it up, put it, you know, raise it a little bit, and it's going to be a little bit tight down there. But it's taken off, you know, like 15 volts, and then 
you know, that that's all you got to do. And then you put them back on with a new pan. It's not a difficult service. And the transmissions are actually, of course, you know, it is kind of like a soft spot for the car. But for example, when I did mine, and I think I was at like 155, I literally sifted through the entire old fluid, which looked almost to be original. And there wasn't a single shard. There wasn't a single, the magnet inside the the pan was completely clean. So there had been no grinding whatsoever. It's just a service item that sometimes is left to the side just because it's more expensive because you have to buy that fluid and you have to buy the yeah. whole new um, pan and filter to uh, you know that goes with it. It's actually a single unit. But it, all in all, I think it's you know, it's it's, it's you know, and and you have to remember too. This is a luxury car. It's a rain. It's a Land Rover. It's a high end Land Rover. So. You know, it's got more stuff to maintain than your typical Chevy or your typical Ford. Yeah. Right? So, but, and what else? I mean, the O2 sensors you mentioned before. Yeah. So we've got, you know, you've got obviously your your, your coils or you'll have to replace them sooner or later. But yeah. you can wait until you get, you know, a misfire or a noticeable misfire that'll tell you right away. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's an easy thing um, for somebody to do at home. The suspension, you you know, if you have a couple of jacks and if you can grab somebody to help you out, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, but a lot of shops will do it for you, um, and you can take them to parts. and And it's not that if they know what they're doing, they'll they'll knock it out sooner than you would imagine. Especially if you're if you're not a Midwest or cold climate car where you're going to have some rust and bolts to fight with. But for the majority, that's easy to do. Brakes are brakes, like any other car. It's pretty upfront. I would, what I would recommend is if you are going to jump into an L322 is get yourself a, either an Island toggle, which is a, um, computer toggle that Atlantic British sells that you just plug into your computer system. Um, and it'll literally tell you everything down to like a light bulb that is out in your cargo space it's it's a toggle that i have been using for a few years and um it'll literally save you uh so much money just in, in the fact that it's you know uh the engine light's gonna come on because it's it's a land rover and having that sort of thing at your at your ready will tell you instantly yeah. uh what needs to go wrong and i actually would recommend it too if even if you're not mechanically inclined and uh you're gonna bring it to a shop i would still buy one because the more knowledge you have as far as what's wrong with your uh range rover the better you are in negotiating and and you know communicating with your and, and let's fa let's face it. If you go to a shop and you tell them this is what's wrong, this is what I need fixed, they will appreciate it because they get it in and out sooner, and they don't have to take the time to do the diagnostics, and they don't have the, the you know they have to search for the problem. If you can already know what it is, it's just a lot easier. Yeah. So let's talk about the known issues with the third uh, mark, which is the twenty tens to. Uh, 2012s so they obviously upgraded uh, to the 5.0 in 
and with a supercharger. And you know what we'll hear and what you'll read in a lot of forums is that um, the engine has the biggest issues with that are the water pumps uh, tend to go and then the timing chain uh, as well. The timing chain seemed to be a worse problem in uh, the 2012s to 2014s, which would have been in like uh, the LR4s and then the early uh, like 405s, I believe. But um, you know, those were kind of like the 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 bigger issues with the third generation. Yeah. The, the timing chain is also a thing with the 4.4, uh, but it's not as common of a problem as it is with, with like you said, the 4.5. And if you'll probably hear it, they'll probably tell you sooner than, than later when you start it up or when it's cold, you'll hear some clacking. And yeah, like when we just, we just looked at one uh, last weekend and it had that very slight uh, ticking starting and I was like, no. I would uh, walk away in that. And the other, one of the good things, go back to uh, the second mark was, uh, as you know, the entertainment and nav and all that is completely antiquated. But the second generation, the 06 to 09, is the only one where you can actually plug in uh, Apple CarPlay because it's the only one that has the auxiliary uh, outlet. Uh, still in in the vehicle. Yeah, in the in the armrest. In, in the, the armrest, but so in the back. It's in the back, so it's right. It's basically for your passengers to plug in, but it's actually connected into uh, the auxiliary. So kind of like in a lot of the cars in, in the mid in the in the aux, all had like uh, auxiliary holes, but they were usually right next to like the radio. Uh, but this one happens to be like right in the in the rear, so you can actually get an Apple CarPlay and. Or you can just do what I do, which is since I don't like Apple products, you just get a uh, double-sided male cord from Amazon for three bucks. Oh right, and yeah. you plug it right into your phone, and you can play everything that's on your phone. Yeah, so that's kind of a nice, uh, nice feature. Yeah, yeah the, you know the the backup cameras usually are like. 50 50 chance they they might work yeah might like not. i've gone a couple of weeks where it's been working every day and obviously i've gone like months where like it doesn't want to work it really just really just depends on, on mine tends to want to work like. when it's death cold when it's like extremely cold it'll pop on and then when it's warm well, maybe it that's why it's been working so well <laughs> like, like what what why is it working yeah um Anyway, Dan, give me your overall opinion and your 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 take as an owner of two of what people or what's what's the what's the best one to buy and why. So I I would stick with I'm still gonna stick with the uh, 07 to 09 the 4.4 um, non supercharged right non supercharged not not that there's like really anything wrong with the supercharged I think it's really that. Early superchargers is based off of uh, a Pontiac Grand Prix. I think it's the exact same supercharger, but you know, the more things you have, the more things that can go wrong. Um, I just, I really like that that 
mid-years. I really liked it when the prices were ridiculously cheap when we got into them. Um, there's still really great deals out there. Uh, and I would, I would definitely, if you're just getting into it, buy one that has over 120,000 miles and with good service records. You, you really can't go wrong. If someone has already put the money into it, then enjoy the design because that's why you're buying it first. And uh, yeah, and, take it off road. And take the time to do your due diligence. So if you have pulled a Carfax on it, and if you if the Carfax isn't super detailed, like call the dealership where it was serviced, give them the VIN number, say you're considering buying this car, what service has been done on it. They might not give you printouts of the records, but they'll probably, if you're nice, just tell you, oh yeah, well we have this and this, and that'll help you. Um, understand what's been done on the car. Yeah. The other, last thing I wanted to mention is that if you want, to, if you buy one that has floorboards like mine did, floorboards are the enemy because floorboards in any take them off in any car will trap the snow, the humidity, everything in there, and cause rust. The problem with the the floorboards on the on these L322s is that the front part is bolted also into the body panel. So when you take them off, you're left with two little yeah, holes you, on that. Yeah, you had a great resolution for that. Yeah, I put some plugs in there for yeah. some but just know that when you take them off, it's going to it's going to leave I something there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a better look. Anyway, Dan, I think we covered all of our bases here on the L322, right? Yeah. We're we're I mean, I'm a I'm I'm an L322 convert you're, because yeah, of you. You're a convert, yeah. Because yeah. of you, because you insisted so many times that I needed to get one. It is true that when I saw yours, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. Um, and they've been great cars for us. And hopefully, if you're in the market for one, they're for you. And if if you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram. I'll be more than happy to shoot me an advert. I'll look at it, and I'll help you through it. I yeah. Mind. And same with, uh, that leads us perfectly into rovertalk55 at gmail.com reach out to us. Dan knows a lot more than I do about these cars, but we both of us will take a look and give you our honest opinion. Dan, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Um, we'll see you very soon next week. Yep. All right, everybody, have a good have a good night or day, depending on when you're listening to this, and drive your rovers.